to go with the pirates because, of course, they have cannons and everything. It's a pirate's life for me. Be proud of who you are and what you are. You're pirate. It is a first down. Pirate. Because when you're in East Carolina, you go for it every time. Or you don't coach in East Carolina, you don't come to East Carolina, you don't play in East Carolina with a weak heart. Write it. Thing I've ever been in a building as loud as that was. It was deafening in there. You will get them off. I can promise you that. Hit it purple all night long in Eastern North Carolina. You're watching the Sports Objective, the podcast for pirates. It was an unbelievable atmosphere. I've coached a long time in a lot of great places, and I don't think I've ever been in a building as loud as that was. It, uh, it <laughs> there were some times where it was it was deafening in there. And this is East Carolina Hall of Famer and Utah Jazz first round draft pick Blue Edwards. You're listening to Pirate Basketball Overtime on the Sports Objective, your home for the best East Carolina hoops coverage. Welcome in to Pirate Basketball Overtime here on the Sports Objective, the podcast for Pirates. And you're home for the best ECU hoops coverage. Pirates go to Wichita on Wednesday night, pick up a much-needed win, 54-52 over the Wichita State Shockers. And right now, joining Matt Semenza and I is the play-by-play voice on the radio side of things, and that is, of course, Darren Vault. Darren, welcome into the show. Thank you guys for having me, Bubba. Pleasure as always. Uh, Matt, good to to know we're both maybe a little bit jet lagged for this conversation. So <laughs> Bubba, I, I trust that Bubba's gonna put us on his back. Yeah, no I'm, I'm ready to ready to carry the load. Um and you know, as you take a look at things on uh, Darren, or first of all, I think we've obviously had you on the show multiple times in the past, but I believe this is the first time since you've been the, the voice of the basketball pirates. And so um you know, you and Michael Perry have done an excellent job this season. Of course, you know, a lot of times I'm watching ESPN Plus, but you know, anytime in the car, um, definitely um, check out the radio side of things as well. But, uh, you know, uh, first of all, how was that weather in Wichita? I know we were discussing it a little <laughs> off the air. You know, so my, it was my first time in the state of Kansas. Obviously, Kansas is Kansas and has a reputation of being Kansas. So you'd heard some things before going. Um, man, it was dreary. It, it was um, it, it, the visibility was not great, even for the charter as we we landed in Wichita. Um, and it was just this constant fog sort of set over the city the whole time we were there. Um, it did not do Kansas any favors in improving my preconceived notions about it, right? And um, some of the guys who had been there last year with the team had said that, you know, even clear skies, 
sun shining. It's still just like doesn't have a lot of color. It seems it's almost like, you know, you step off the plane and it's like Pleasantville. You, all of a sudden the world's black and white. Um, but, you know, otherwise pleasant. The, the, the few people that I did encounter in Wichita were were lovely. So I'm sure it's a, a fine place to live. But, um, you know, sometimes on those short turnaround trips, you make it a point to go sort of like walk around and experience more of the town. The weather played a part, but, you know, it just wasn't that wasn't a factor for this time around. Like the, Philadelphia was way more my speed when we went up the temple. Right. I just. I, I just feed off of that energy a little bit better, I guess. Darren, it sounds a little bit like a microcosm of the game we watched last night, right? <laughs> I mean, just kind of a, uh, you know, you talk about a, it's kind of just a low scoring, uh, gritty, grinded out game. Not many fireworks offensively on either side, but uh, tractor you know, pool. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. interesting game to say the least last night, huh? Yeah, and well, I think it, it was that way from the very beginning when we got to going and and at the first media timeout, Coach Perry and I looked at each other and we we were just kind of making sure we were like, Wichita turned it over on all five of their first five possessions, right? <laughs> and it was, you know what I mean? It's just like I don't know that you I've ever seen that. Um, at first media timeout, there were what eight combined turnovers between the two teams and you know coach Perry's seen a lot of basketball I asked him at that point I was like have you ever seen twice as many turnovers as total points at the first media timeout um just a weird clunky game and you know I guess we've had our share of them with the Pirates this year and at some point you kind of become what the numbers say you are this is a team that we know is is capable of scoring in in some bunches and is capable of of hitting shots um with some pretty high frequency it just hasn't been the case more often than not with them but you know i will say this they held wichita state to 52 points it's a team that came into last night averaging over 74 per game so you know say what you want about shooting a much worse percentage taking 24 more shots than the shockers from the field and still only escaping by two um, there's something to be said for the the defensive mentality of Mike Schwartz and his coaching staff, right? Like that half of the game is working and it's working pretty flawlessly. Yeah. And that's something, you know, a lot of folks, you know, wanted to dwell on, you know, Oh yeah, this isn't the best of Wichita state teams. And that's true. But um, to your point and what you said, 74 points going into last night, and I think that was the first time all year that they had been held below 60 and just I think the third time that they had held been, been held below 66. So um, it, it was, you know, not the best of performances on their part, but East Carolina had a lot to do with that. Yeah, and, and we talked a lot last night too about the beginnings of the, the conference schedule for Wichita State in addition to the non-conference. I mean, look, they, they had – um, you know, games against Richmond, which is the number two team in the A-10 right now, a great basketball conference on their non-con schedule. They they had uh, Kansas and Kansas State on there. And then, you know, two of their first, what, three or four conference games happened to be back-to-back Memphis and at FAU, which are, you know, I think we all can agree that the two and then everybody else in this conference, even regardless of what the standings say, um, those are the two most talented teams 
in the conference. And they played USF pretty close, a team that we're going to see in a couple of games that uh, is is up there in the standings for the conference. So, you know, it's it, they're still over in the conference standings. But again, they were, what, 45 spots ahead of the Pirates going into last night in the net rankings, despite that? Like, you know, it's a team that that has played a tough schedule. They're better than their record. Like, I know people think that's cliche and, and they don't like hearing that. Like, it, that is a Wichita team that's just so far and away better than their record at oh, now 0-6 in conference play. Um it, it's a good win. It's a road win at a place where there's a lot of basketball history. Um, not their best crowd, I would say, for the Shockers last night, but it was still a loud environment um, and, and one that presumably it was tough to play in. I don't know. I wasn't playing, but I assume it's you had to overcome some things to do what the Pirates did. So um, a win is a win. We'll take it. That's number two on the road this season and a couple of of you know, kind of historic environments at Temple and at Wichita State. So it's it's tough to complain about those. Yeah, Coke Arena. Um, I believe the Shockers were only trailing Memphis in a, in attendance, obviously, on FedEx Forum. And um, Tigers always draw well, as as do the Shockers. And no, uh, well, I think 52, 5,300 is something uh, around that is what I saw for last night's figure. But uh, – that's something that I, me and other pirates were talking about going into last night, just with them being 0 5, knowing that they were better than that record. Both teams in really in desperate need of a win to, uh, you know, going into or nearing the midway point of the, the conference schedule. And, th- and that was one that was going to be tough to get. And we, it wasn't necessarily pretty, but we found a way to get it done. Yeah, it's like at that point, like you said, Bubba, the, the Pirates just needed a win, right? And you can take the this the good with the bad of it. Um, you know, not a great shooting night for for much of anybody on the team, but the bright spots of some guys contributing who hadn't otherwise contributed much in certain performances so far this year. Um, I, I joke with Coach Perry. Are you guys familiar with the Tony Snell meme where it shows his graphics? And it's like Tony Snell, NBA player, 29 minutes, zero points, zero rebounds, zero assists, zero steals. Zero, it's like, you know, all these these minutes accumulated and he's got no stats, right? It's the sort of thing that Mike Schwartz has challenged certain players to avoid this season. And we got that, right? And it wasn't, on, it wasn't a ton on the stat sheet for um, Val Pinedo, for instance. But, man, if you were watching that game, you know some of the plays he made had a huge impact in a one-score game. At, at one point, you know, he's boxing out 6'11", 260-pound Quincy Ballard, who is has been around the block, a transfer from Florida State, the guy that had seven blocks. There it is. Yeah, 28 minutes. There you go. I had to, had to look it up right quick. Wow. Um, that's, that's almost hard to do, fellas. I mean – yeah, 28 minutes without recording a single stat. I mean, that's a that's a challenge right there. So, but like, productive, you know, but productive. Yeah. So, like, the the Pirates had had some stat lines that looked like that, right? And Coach Perry and I had joked about it, and um, you know, as much as you can joke about that sort of thing. 
But Val was one of those guys, right, where early in the season he would play a bunch of minutes and the stats would say, you know, zero, 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 zero. And granted, he's not going to score in bucket loads. That's not his thing. But last night, man, he really came through in some big spots when Ezra was knocked up and um, out of the game for an extended period of time. And, you know, Sierra Malanga comes in, plays really good minutes. I know people have been clamoring for him to get more minutes because it seems like every time he gets a handful, he's productive in those. Um, but, man, he was great in his in his spots. I thought Cal Richard did a great job um, in his limited time, what, six or seven minutes on the floor, especially to have not really been involved for that, you know, week or two stretch a bit earlier in the season. Um so, you know, again, you take the good with the bad things. Certain things are are rounding out into form. I know it's not as quickly as we all wanted it to happen, but the truth of the matter is that there have been little naggy things that have um, agitated this basketball team up to this point. And I, I'll lump Cam Hayes not being available for the first stretch of the season into that. Right. And granted, you recruit him and you bring him in, not sure if he's going to be able to play this year. So he's not necessarily a recruit that a recruit that is here for this year. But now that he's eligible to play, you have to factor him in. And that's going to come with a learning curve right in the in the middle of your season. So um, it's just it's not happened as quickly as we all want it to. It's still obviously a work in progress, um, but it's. I would say it's getting there, and I, I I get people's concerns with the high expectations and then what it's become. But um, you know, this is a team that can can still pull off some some big wins in what's left of the schedule. And like, who's to say that they don't get hot and finish five hundred or maybe a little bit better in conference play? I, I like, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Speaking of little naggy things, is this something you and I were discussing off the air? Matt and I discussed it earlier today. And that is in point guard position. Bobby Pettiford certainly had his moments this year, um, but of late he had struggled. So um, Jaden Walker got the start. Jaden had played 25 to 30 minutes, two or three games in a row, and had some pretty nice production. So um, Jaden got the start last night, and um, Jaden, I think, played 25 minutes last night. Bobby played 19. Um, in those 19 minutes off the bench, Bobby had eight points and five rebounds. I know you talked about, uh, I believe, that and some of the lineup decisions with Coach Schwartz post game. Uh, what were your thoughts on that, and what did Coach Schwartz had to say? Yeah, I, I don't know that it was a, a major surprise when we saw the starting lineup and Jaden Walker and Sierra Malongo were were both in there. Um, truthfully, especially when he started being. Um, able to play games and struggled from the field. Uh, Cam Hayes is a guy that I, I kind of thought from the, from the jump, it would be a nice bench piece um, not to diminish his skill as a player. He's a, he's the type of guy who could be in a starting five. And I think we'll see him there to continue for much of the rest of the season. Um, but, but when he was struggling to get going, I think being in the starting lineup, he was putting some pressure on himself. So like that, that's something that Coach Perry and I had talked about. You know, maybe you move him to to where he's one of the first off the bench, and it takes a little bit of pressure off of him, and and maybe it can loosen him up and get him going offensively. Now, of course, you know he's the the Pirates' best three point shooter in conference play. 
Um, so, you know, Jaden has played well as of late. He had the, the, the nagging hamstring injury that has sort of kept him from playing prolonged minutes early in the season. And Bobby had, had been in just like a little bit of a rut, right? And part of it too, guys, I think Coach Schwartz after the FA or not FAU, the um, UAB loss pointed to a season high 16 turnovers. A lot of those were backcourt players committing those turnovers. And, you know, three of those were Bobby Pettiford. It's just the second time all year he's turned it over three times. And considering his usage rate and how often he is handling the basketball, it's pretty phenomenal that that's been the case. Um, but, but you know, the size was a factor, getting Jaden in to size up with Wichita State, which was entering last night, and I guess still is the case, a pretty good offensive rebounding team. Um, and they still had seven, I believe, last night, something like that. And uh, so the size was a concern, but also just the way Jaden had played. And we, we had Bobby on as our post-game interview from a player standpoint last night. Um, it was funny. The scoring was so spread out. We didn't really have an obvious player of the game. So I asked Coach Perry. I was like, well, who, who do you want to talk to? Who do you think was important? And he immediately was like, Bobby. I want to talk to Bobby because he was in awe of some of those offensive rebounds you know, Bobby, the smallest dude on the floor going up amongst the trees, including Quincy Ballard, who I mentioned, who's 6'11", and out-rebounding guys in moments where we needed it. So it was good to hear to, to hear Bob talk about Jaden getting the start. And he mentioned that the two of them are very close. There's no animosity about who gets the starting spot or, or whatever. It was just sort of an understood thing when, when they found out that Jaden was going to start. Bobby's like, okay, cool. I had my turn. Now it's your turn. At some point it might be my turn again, but like, let's go, let's make the best of it. Um, so it was really interesting to see the team's reaction to that. And like encouraging, I, I think is the other, the other word that I would use for it because, you know, Sear getting in to the starting lineup, producing in the minutes that he played in the way that he did. And then sort of being in that platoon rotation with Cal Richard, at least to start the game. And then they sort of went back into more of a conventional rotation and, and lineup um, that wasn't quite as big for, for certain moments. Um, it was great to get those guys in and, and get them playing meaningful minutes, right? Cause like coach Schwartz has talked about it all season, how, you know, the depth is not where he wants it to be. He think it, he thinks it can be. And like, you just gotta, you gotta find situations for those guys to get out there and produce in order to build that depth. And, and you know, I mentioned Val Pinedo. He's, he's certainly a piece of that, too. I, I don't know what his minutes are going to look like moving forward um, because last night was more of a necessity. But it's certainly nice to know that you've got a guy who can hold his own if you need to in, in those minutes, right? Um, so, yeah, it was, it was um, a positive sign. And, and I'll say this lastly about the rotations and, and the starting lineup. Coach Schwartz told us in the postgame, it was a little bit less about the opponent and more about where he sees the direction of this team going, which I thought was interesting. And um, it, it will be it will be interesting to see what the starting five turns out to be when we when we get there on um, on Sunday. And, and, you know, maybe it's maybe it's Sear and Jaden in the starting lineup again. Right. Like if it's working let's go with it. Maybe we hit some more shots and we make it not quite as stressful against Temple the second time around, that sort of thing. Um, 
So we'll see. I, I think the outlook is is pretty good after last night. Yeah, and I think, it, you know, it's interesting. You know, you mentioned Sear in the starting lineup. I, I think he gives you some flexibility because when he's not on the floor, Brandon Johnson is your tallest player. So when you have Sear in the lineup, it allows you to do some different things with Brandon, especially offensively, where you can have him out on the perimeter where he's so effective. He's been so effective shooting the three this entire season, but it still gives you a presence down low with some size. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it does give you some more flexibility. And I agree, Darren. Like when he's, you know, the short bursts he's been on the floor this year, he he's he's been impressive. And, you know, he shows some ability to rebound the ball and uh, and really good athleticism, I think, for his size. So I think the future is bright for him. I, I do love to see him getting more minutes like we saw last night. Yeah. And, and again, I, I, don't, I don't know if it is firmly in the plans for, you know, in, in, that, in an ideal circumstance, the coaching staff can say, OK, we've got BJ at the three, Ezra at the four, Sear at the five. But I'm like you, I kind of like the flexibility that that gives us because Ezra, and, and these are in two totally different ways, Ezra and BJ stretch the floor, right? And with Ezra, it's it's he sort of does the back to the basket from the corner where he can get shifty and use his lateral quickness that a lot of the bigs who are assigned to him, frankly, they don't have. And it's it's how Ezra is able to draw so many fouls, right? Um you know, sometimes he gets a little ahead of himself and it leads to turnovers too, but that's the good and the bad that you, you get with Ezra. And and with BJ, it's his three-point shot, obviously, that stretches the floor with him. So if you imagine a scenario where, you know, you've got Sear block to block, posting up offensively, occasionally going to get involved in that way. You've got Ezra to one side, stretching it to the corner, doing the baseline driving and um, you know, pump faking and, and things like that, like he normally does, backing down a bigger but typically slower guy. And then you got BJ who can kind of inside out it out on the other wing. Um, it spaces things out in a way that you can envision this team coming together offensively, I think. Um, and then, you know, not to mention you get you get RJ coming off of those those curls um, into the lane where he gets to the top of the key and, and does what he does best from the mid range. And um, Bobby is obviously way more effective when he's, when he's aggressive and can penetrate and, and play make from there. And, you know, we've seen, we've seen penetration in the back pass to cam a lot in conference play be effective to get three point baskets too. So like there's, it opens them up for, for a lot of potential. I think, um, and like you're 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 spot on with it, Matt. Yeah, and Darren, it's, it's I'll tell you, it's interesting. You just mentioned that about Bobby because Bubba and I again, we were talking about that earlier today, and I think you make a really good point. He is at his best when he's when he's getting into the paint, when he's attacking downhill, and you know what that allows for is penetrate and kick out to your shooters on the perimeter, and it did seem like earlier. I felt earlier in the season when he was really in a good rhythm. He was getting into the paint a lot, being very aggressive. And then we had the ability to kick it out to our shooters. And I felt recently we haven't been doing quite as much of that. So I think that's something to look out for. I just wanted to comment. That is a great point. And, it, you know, it's something to look out for with him, um, you know, when he's on the floor here. Yeah. And, and I'll say his best assist games have come. They've been born of that. 
basically, right? It's he's able to get to the free throw line or deeper and then find a teammate, whether it's somebody slashing um, to the hoop, somebody, you know, backdoor on the baseline, or he's giving it back out for a high quality um, look from three, right? It's, it's, you know, when he's got six, seven assists in a game, I think typically that's what we see is he's, he's aggressive with the dribble drive and can, can make some keen decisions out of that. Darren, just a couple minutes ago, you referenced on the rebounding numbers from last night. Now let's take a quick look at those team stats. And one of the things that immediately jumped off the page that was a reflection of those rebound numbers, uh, East Carolina, 68 shot attempts um, compared to just 44 for the Shockers. In addition to the rebounding numbers, um, 17 offensive rebounds for the Pirates, seven for Wichita State. And then those turnovers that you referenced for the first 10 minutes of the game, it was one a minute for the Shockers. And Pirates did much better after halftime. I think just three turnovers or so yeah, after, the, after the break. And nine for ECU for the game, 19 for Wichita State. So those those uh, obviously resulted in those 24 more shot attempts that allowed the Pirates to win despite shooting just 33.8%. Yeah, and you look at the free throw numbers too, right? This is a uh, an ECU team that led by Ezra Asar gets to the free throw line a lot. And by a lot, I mean, I, I think going into last night, they were like top 75 or so in the country in that regard in terms of free throw attempts. Um, so even with half the free throw attempts as Wichita State, again, <laughs> there are some numbers that that you look at and you think, OK, they probably won by a lot. But then those are evened out by the other numbers. <laughs> um, right. You mentioned the 20, the plus 24 shot differential. I don't know that. Like, I don't know that I'll ever call another game in my life that has a 24 shot differential between the two teams. And it's still just a two point game. Like, that's just yeah. a, it is a bizarre number. I, you know, you never say never, but I, I would have a hard time believing I ever call a game like that again. Um, but I will say Wichita State coming into last night was 65th in the country in tempo. And not that we haven't played up-tempo teams to this point, but for whatever reason, last night was the opportunity in which the Pirates really used that to their advantage. I think a lot of the times it can sort of scare a fan base. It's like, okay, this up-tempo team is, is coming to town or we're visiting this up-tempo team, which means a lot of the time people misinterpret the the, the data and, and they're like, okay, this is a good, quick, efficient basketball team. I think for ECU, with the way that the Pirates play defensively, it sort of created an opportunity where, okay, this team likes to play fast. Let's embrace that. Let's force them into it. And you saw the erratic nature of the point guard play for um, for Wichita State last night as a result of the pressure, right? So it's like almost as if, okay, you know they're going to try to play fast, pressure them in a way that anticipates that and forces some bad passes. And I think um, that that was a, a strategic implementation by the coaching staff going into last night to create some of those turnovers, which obviously worked really, really well throughout the game, even though um, the, you know, the Pirates did that thing. We've seen them do a couple of times where 
the opposition sputters and and can't seem to score points and the pirates are really having a hard time creating separation with it because they're just not hitting shots um it 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 worked to their advantage is my point and that to me is encouraging because if you look ahead on the schedule there are some up tempo teams coming up that um are going to have to be going to have to be toppled for the pirates to to you know redeem this season maybe that's not the right word that might be a little dramatic but um in order for them to improve on the season and build on what they've done so far you're gonna have to beat some teams that like to move quickly yeah to your point yeah if you get partial numbers of that box score and if you would have ever told me you know without me knowing the number of shot attempts that we shoot 33 34 percent and go three out of eight from the free throw line and that we won at wichita state you wouldn't believe it, but then yeah. if you find out the number of shot attempts and then the number of turnovers and everything that plays into it, you're like, well, okay, I can see how it happened. Uh, taking a look at the oil boat, not to interrupt, Bubba, but th- I mean, three out of eight for the that's like a rec lead, a rec league number. I mean, <laughs> how, how often are you going to see a game at this level with only eight free throw attempts and three makes? Uh, that's that's a crazy stat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. And again, especially the way that the Pirates take free throws. And and honestly, you know, maybe not as much in conference play because guys like Brandon Johnson have, um, you know, their their percentages have gone down from the line in conference play. But, um, you know, for the most part, you shoot okay, right? But a lot of the times the numbers are a little bit deceiving. It's like twice, twice as good the percentage but three times as many the shots from the free throw line, right? So it's still not quite where you want it to be. But, um, you know, it, it's it, the Pirates aren't a, a horrible free throw shooting team. It just kind of seems like it because of situational stuff. Um, so, yeah, no, the three for eight is a, a – that's almost as jarring as the, the plus 24 shot differential. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And in the type of game that last night's game was, no, there's – no uh, tremendous offensive numbers uh, statistics to write home about, but then very quickly running over those individual numbers from last night, you had three Pirates in double figures led by Brandon Johnson. Uh, six of those 12 points came during a sequence there that I wanted to reference. Fairly early on uh, in the second half, I think East Carolina had been outscored by the Shockers 9-2 to two in the first five minutes of the second half trailed by three, but then you had Ezra Saar knock down a corner three, and then Brandon Johnson knocked down a couple of threes, and uh, R.J. Felton also had a bucket. So in about a minute and a half, two-minute stretch, ECU outscored Wichita State 11-2 to two to uh, go from down three to, uh, what, up six. Yeah, it was um... – it was interesting. That was that first called timeout that they they turn into the media timeout in the second half. And, and coming out of that, um, if I'm not mistaken, it was Ezra's three that fell first. And I mean, how about that? Right. His, his fifth make from deep on the season. And that one might have been the most dynamic. Right. Early on, it's kind of like top of the circle. All right. They're giving me space. Sure. I got plenty of time. I'll take it. Um, Ezra, like. He put a little more sauce on that one, right? It's it's the through the legs dribble, the step back, the pump fake, and they're just still not biting. So he's like, okay, all right, sure, I'll go with it. Um, I don't know that we can expect that kind of inside out production from Ezra, other than in some one off spots, right? Um, you know, 
it, we're 20 games in. That's his fifth make from three overall. So it's not like that's to be expected um, from here on out as a, a piece of what he can do. But, you know, he, he's been okay on those those long twos from that, that type of spacing as well. And I, I think teams are starting to – catch on to to his mo when he gets it down into the corner and he does that the back the guys down and try to spin and get lateral and draw contact that way i think what sometimes teams are doing to counteract that is when he goes back to the basket and kind of gets his head down and goes bull in the china shop sometimes they're being coached according to the scouting report to sort of back off of him when he does that. And it's creating some situations where, you know, he, he's traveled a time or two in an instance like that. He's had this space that he's wasn't quite expecting and, and isn't a hundred percent sure right off the bat what to do with it. So they're adjusting. Well, um, he, he, the next step for him, I think is more fluidly adjusting to their adjustment. Right. And whether that means, you know, going up with it before he's so deep into the basket that he he can't really react on the fly, or you know, starting to to take and and make some of those those jumpers from from two point range. That's um, I think sort of the next thing for him. But that I mean, that was such an important stretch, and it just goes to show that that you know, shot making fixes everything. And, and it was really great to see. You see the three for five for BJ on the screen there. Like that's a that is a legitimately good shooting night for him on a night where his team was not shooting especially well. Um, and he just kind of, man, he just brings it all together defensively. The three steals, um, he probably should have gotten credited for one or two more because he was the initial hand on a lot of those passes. Um, you'd have to watch it back to, to be sure, but it, it kind of felt like he was uh, even more impactful defensively than that. Um, it's a big stretch from, from two guys who were obviously huge, huge for this team. Shedding a little more light on, uh, Ezra Saar and his perimeter shooting. What you said is definitely, uh, factual and that he only has five makes, but you know, for full disclosure, he only has nine attempts. Yeah. So that's, that's the other thing. Like <laughs> to your point, I would like to see him, uh, you know, not be so hesitant to shoot that shot. No, no, you don't want to see him shooting a high volume, but uh, you know, don't hesitate if they're if they're going to sag off you because he's so so uh, potent you know, with his ability to to drive downhill and get to the basket. You know, if they're going to sag off you, you know, whether it's a fifteen footer, seventeen footer, you know, take that shot. Yeah, and and you know the 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 shoulder injury last year was was mainly the reason that the three point shooting was not. Um, part of his game or, and, and he's, he's said that, right. So he knows it's something that he can do. It's an interesting question, Bubba. Like, I don't, I don't know if, if, if they drew up two three point attempts per game for him, like what, what would his percentage be? I, I honestly don't know. Like, I, I think he's got a pretty true stroke um, and he's, he's doing well with it in game with what he's given. I, I if you tried to, if you tried to, to, bring that out of him a little bit more. I don't know. I mean, assumedly he wouldn't shoot uh, equivalent to, to five for nine. Right. But um, you know, I don't, does he shoot 40% and become a really good stretch for guy in that regard too. And then he's got the, 
the the lateral quickness in addition to a three-point shot who knows right at that point man like that's about as dynamic a player as you can ask for in this conference so um no I, I don't know the answer to that I would imagine there's a reason he's not shooting two a game and it's probably because the percentage would not be you know four of nine equivalent or or around there but um it's it's nice to have when he does give that right you know, I'll tell you guys, when I'm as I'm looking at these statistics on the screen, the one that continues to jump out at me is Cam Hayes. And, you know, obviously a rough night last night shooting. You know, he's he's had a, obviously a very difficult, you know, uh, start to his season coming in midway. But I think in order for this team to be competitive against the top half of the league, he's going to have to find a way to to get going offensively. And, you know, he's shown it in some spurts here recently, but we're going to need him to play extremely well to have a chance. You know, obviously last night we were able to rely on the defense against Wichita, but to, if we're going to be competitive, I think against the Memphises of the world, um, you know, the, the top tier teams, we're going to have to find a way to get him going. What do you, what do you guys think it is? I mean, is it, Obviously, coming into the season late, I know he's trying to find his way in the offense. But I think right now, to me, it's it's kind of a confidence thing. He just doesn't look confident shooting the ball. Yeah, it's he like look he he's a good shooter. I, I don't know that he's um, like a. I mean, I mean, you know, he's shooting thirty four and a half percent from three in conference play, and is um, among the team's best shooters now that we're we're into american play um i i think there's a there's a little bit of like what we talked about earlier with the spacing with bobby being able to to control it up top and work from there with ezra and and brandon sort of flanking the offense and in the ideal scenario you've got somebody working block to block too um then you got to worry about the other guard Right. And it's kind of what it has seemingly been at times when Jaden Walker has played the two. Right. It's this is the freelance position with when you when you establish what we established with those four earlier, you do get a fifth guy on the floor and you can base what their action is. According to their strengths and according to what they do well in certain situations against certain defenses. Right. Um, because it's been the same with Jaden too, whereas when he's off the ball, you're you're not sure he's as comfortable. So I I don't know if um, if Cam is – I honestly wouldn't know this. I'd be interested to ask him next time I see him. Um, I wonder if he is more comfortable on the ball and if that sort of is playing a part in his his sort of like floating around, not 100% sure – where his spots are going to be within an offense and um, it, not to oversimplify it, right. Because they have specific schemes drawn up. It's not like he has no assignment in the offense. He, he, he usually has a very distinct thing that, that he is tasked with doing at a given time. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting when you got a team that, that, struggles to score the way that we do sometimes you've got certain guys who who have to get theirs right rj felton has to get his shot attempts brandon johnson has to get his attempts ezra asar has to get his attempts and when you're in a game where i know we 
put up 68 shots last night, but you know, you're in a game where you only score in the fifties. It's just, it's kind of hard to, to, to wedge in. Okay. Let's make sure Cam gets his, his opportunities. And he took eight shots from the field. That was among the highest on the team. Right. Um, and they just weren't falling. So, you know, maybe we're talking about this a little bit differently if one more of those three pointers falls and he goes two of three from deep. Um, yeah, I, it's just it's it's been a getting comfortable element for him. And some games it's there, some games it's not. But honestly, Matt, you can kind of say that about everybody, right? It's it's just you know RJ's had his his nights where he's just kind of out of it and not necessarily in a rhythm. And arguably, five of fifteen from the field is is out of rhythm for him. Um, so yeah, you know, nights that Brandon has trouble getting involved or, um, you know, they've got Ezra figured out for, for one thing and he's got to adapt and, and you just kind of struggling to make it happen. I, I just think it's, um, it's a fluidity thing. And, and if the team starts making more shots and the fluidity improves and everything kind of flows better, it's just going to come natural to him. And, and we've seen that in certain games. Kind of shifting to what lies ahead for the Pirates. Uh, you have, um, of course, Temple coming to town on Sunday afternoon, uh, 5 o'clock tip-off on ESPN2. And the Pirates uh, were winners up in Philadelphia, 73-62, to back on Wednesday, January the 10th. And uh, you know, the Owls really struggling near the bottom of the league standings, uh, 8-12 and overall. And then uh, following that one, uh, you have South Florida, who's been a, one of the surprises in the league. Uh, obviously, a regime change there with the uh, staff from Kennesaw State coming over after Kennesaw State was so good a season ago. Um, the Bulls, 12-5, and five, right there near the top of the league standings. And, uh, and that one is on Wednesday the 31st. So, Darren, what are your thoughts on what lies ahead for ECU? Yeah, I mean, I, it's tough to beat a team twice, right? We know that it's um, a little bit cliche, but it helps that the first one happened on the road with with Temple in mind. Um, they were a team that you know presented certain problems, but the Pirates did really well defensively against them too, and holding a team like that to seven of twenty-seven from three was a, a pretty big feat for them um certain players and the pirates have done this all year man like th there's a player that they key in on heading into a game and that player underperforms what they normally do like that's just it's it, the pirates have been really really good at that and for temple it was Hysir miller who in 31 minutes was held to what one of eight shooting um, he didn't hit a three in the game in Philadelphia, only six points for him in the, in that game. And I, like, that's the difference, right? Everybody else is going to do what they're going to do. If, if the big guy offensively, not big as in physically big, but the, the big scorer offensively for the opposition isn't able to do what they typically do, then, um, you know, as long as the pirates are, are scoring enough and, you know, 54 might not be enough, um, then then they're going to do okay. Now, again, you're going to have to imagine Hysir Miller is going to play better in this one. 
Um, but the, you know, it's a winnable game, obviously, and it would be the first time the Pirates have have ever won uh, a home and away sweep against Temple if they were to get the win. Um, and then South Florida, man, I, I don't, I haven't looked as as far ahead to to really have a, a firm grasp on what they're doing, but I just know that team's good. That's um, that that's going to be a test of a different kind. And um, you, you know, what's the major league line? You, you know, you string together one win and then another, and then you get a third, and that, my friends, is a winning streak. And it just feels like this this Pirates team could could really use the rattling off of a few um and who's to say you know you you get the win against temple you're feeling good about a season sweep over them um that's some really positive momentum to carry into oh yeah a home game against south florida i mean very winnable at that point and and you know, like i say winnable as if that's that's not a given like in this league anybody can beat anybody on any given night and that's just that's just the way that it is it's it's you know um every game's been close it feels like and Bubba you and I were talking about this this number prior to to us going live last night the Pirates won a game that was within five points one way or the other it was within five points with five minutes or less to play the pirates now are four and seven in games that are separated by no more than five points with five minutes to play that's a type of game that they're growing into being able to win and they ended it on what like a a three minute scoring drought um which feels like it's something that is is happening a lot down the stretch, but the good news is the pirates are locking down, down the stretch in a lot of these games too. So it's, it's happening for the, the other team as well, but um, like they needed that, they need that number to improve. First, it's wild that they've played 20 games and 11 of them have been that close in the late goings. Um, But the more of those that they can pull out, like the, the better this team is, is going to fare in, in the rest of the conference schedule. That's just like, you know, there, there's a, there have been 11 so far. There are going to be more. That's, that's yep. what it amounts to. And they're going to have to start winning more. Yeah. The- and I think that's a great point. And, you know, um, with the, with the type of defense we play, it's so gritty. They're going to keep you in games most nights. So to your point, Darren, you're going to see, in my opinion, you're going to see at least five or six more of those games, probably minimum um, that come down into the final few minutes and you're, you know, probably in a two or three point game. Yeah. And that's when you hope that, you know, it's happened some that, that the play that you design where, um, you know, you try and get somebody a shot off of a screen or, um, you know, we all love RJ for his ability to isolate from the the elbow. It's kind of his bread and butter. Um, That's where you hope that if it comes down to those possessions, you get some of those shots. And, you know, like we saw against North Texas, sometimes you get that shot and you still don't win. It's just it's just the way it um, the way it happens. So uh, it's it's been fascinating, man. Just like as a first timer in this league and and with this team, obviously, um, the competition on a night in and night out basis has been unreal. And it, there's there's a lot of teams that you know you're, there are your Memphises who can put up 112 points in a one off, um, but more often than not, it's the 
it's the defensive minded teams and we get something closer to what we had last night, what we had against North Texas. Um, it's, it's, it's certainly interesting, right? I, I don't, it's not always great basketball in those games, but um, it's competitive and it's exciting. And that from my vantage point is, is really fun as long as the pirates win more often than not. <laughs> <laughs> Taking a look at the uh, American athletic conference standings. Uh, you have uh a surprise there atop the standings to so the Charlotte 49ers, six and one uh, after their most recent win over UAB, 12 and seven overall. Uh, first year coach there. Uh, and then you have 22nd ranked FAU, six and one as well. And uh, their lone loss came to Charlotte, uh, FAU, 16 and four. Then you got South Florida, five and one, SMU in North Texas, four and one. Um, and I say, I say, uh, SMU North Texas are four and one. They were playing each other tonight. Uh, Darren, are you, sh- how did that one play out? Yeah, I, um, you know what? I have not seen a score on that one for purposes of, of live streaming here. I'll pull it up though. <laughs> Give me, yeah, I was trying to do the same, but, uh, the, you have 19th ranked Memphis four and two. Uh, they lost recently down at uh, Tulane. Uh, Green Wave had been a little bit of a disappointment uh, for sure, but uh, they showed you what they're capable of with that win over Penny Hardaway and his Tigers. UAB's also 4-2. Tulane and East Carolina, 3-4. and four. UTSA, which you know took Memphis to the brink, what lost in overtime at the FedEx Forum. They're 2-5. Tulsa, 1-5, as is Rice. Tipple wanted six, and Wichita State is, of course, 0 and 6. I've got an update for you. North Texas beat SMU 68 to 66. Um, the Mean Green have now tied a program record for consecutive home victories with 17. That's impressive. That's impressive. And I mean, a, another yeah. close game, right? Another two point game. Go figure. <laughs> yep. So there you go. As you take a look at this league, we talk about how competitive it is. Obviously, at this juncture, you you look at Memphis and FAU in the top twenty-five. You know, when when the smoke clears, you know, here in a month plus, you think this is going to be a two-bid league, or maybe do you think there's a chance you could get three? Yeah, I I think there's a legitimate chance for three. Um, you, you know, I've seen some talk about. And, and maybe Penny was the one who said this in their post game um, the other night. You know, he's like, "Man, we're getting awfully close to the bubble." Which, again, as a ranked team, it's it's kind of hard to believe that. But you know, you drop too many in conference play, and yeah, then you're talking about that for sure. But um, man, I mean, this, again, North Texas just pulled off that kind of win like that. South Florida's having a great season. Charlotte, like any of these teams, could and. You know, you look at the streak column there as well. It, it's like there are some hot teams toward the toward the top of the conference. Um, you know, Charlotte lost their first conference game and they hold off six in a row to get where they are. Like, who knows? Like, maybe maybe they'll slow down. Maybe not. I, I find it hard to believe that the glut of teams there is going to include only teams that slow down. Like, it, it's just it's very easy for me to imagine that FAU and and Memphis have a team joining them 
in the NCAA tournament, um, it's just kind of hard to say at this point who it's going to be, right? It could be the 49ers, could be the Bulls, um, North Texas. Uh, like UAB is not a bad club either. Like that's a team that could, you know, they're losers of one straight according to what we're seeing there, but you know, they're fully capable of hauling off a big winning streak toward the end of the conference slate and, and turning themselves into a team that, that is, is worthy of that third American bid. Like it's, it's, it's got great potential as a league and, and, um, yeah, no, I I think it's very possible this this turns into a three bid league this year. And the tournament's going to be crazy. You, you can literally have anybody about come up and win the thing. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, no kidding, right? Like I just mentioned, uh, seven, eight teams that you know could be a tournament team. And if if you're if you're putting yourself in a position where you could be an NCAA tournament team, then yeah, for sure you could be the type of team to, to win a conference tournament. That's um, it, it's, it's, it's going to be really, really fun and, and really interesting to see how this plays out for the rest of the year. And I'm going to preface the fun part with assuming the pirates um, get into that, that winning record territory and, and are maybe fighting for that third spot in the league in terms of, um, you know, who's, who's the next best team behind FAU and Memphis. Matt, uh, what stands out to you, uh, you know, as you take a look at these uh, at these standings, and then just the competitiveness throughout the American? You know, just balance. I mean, I think there's a lot of good basketball in this league. You know, I I, I do agree that you know, eventually Charlotte will begin to you know fall to the bottom a little bit, and I think you'll see Memphis make a very strong push, but. You know, my focus has really just been on ECU and, and just trying to um, to find a way to win some more of these games. And, you know, when you really look at it, we could easily have two more wins in conference. Um, but uh, another good opportunity, you know, coming up against Temple and, you know, we'll see how it goes. But that's what I see, a lot of balance. Um, and, and really on any given night, you feel like, you know, your team has a chance to win. Um, so that makes it interesting. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll just follow that up with, you know, I think on the surface, those not necessarily paying close attention to the Pirates might look at those standings and see, okay, they've got three conference wins. All three of those teams are below them in the standings. Um, but you got to keep in mind, like, it was a collapse against UAB. Otherwise, Pirates were right there. Pirates, uh, it took that miracle heave down the floor for – North Texas to beat ECU. Um, We had FAU with their backs against the ropes and they just reacted in the way that a ranked basketball team does. And they tightened the clamps in the final minutes um, and pulled out a win. So again, on the surface, it's, it's, it would be easy to point at three wins and say, yeah, but they're over these guys. You got to look at the close losses too, which could have gone either way, right? The margin for error is so thin in these games that are decided by a singular score. Um, you could also easily point at those and be like, "Yeah, but but the Pirates should have or or could have, uh, you know, uh, might have beaten this team and that team and this team." So it's you know anybody can play with anybody, bottom to top in this league. That's just, they're all going to be competitive. 
Exactly. It's not like that Florida Atlantic game where we lost by 15. It's not like it was a 20 or 25 point game and the Pirates tightened it up at the end. It was the exact opposite where, where you were down one possession with four minutes to play. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And that's one of those that based on the final score, Bubba, you would not think it's included in that, you know, four and seven in games with are that are within five points with five minutes to go, but that's one of them. Um, and, and some of the other two for the pirates, by the way, are Florida in Lakeland, um, basically in a away game for the pirates and against South Carolina at home. Like those are, those are both in that category as well. The pirates played two really good sec teams close and, um, you know, you don't get the win that gets forgotten pretty quickly and pretty easily. I get that. That's the nature of the season. But um, that's all part of the journey for these for these pirates at this point. As we begin to wrap up this edition of Pirate Basketball Overtime, I want to shift over and talk some college baseball because we know you certainly uh, cover that. Uh, you work for USA Baseball, also do work for D1 Baseball. But before we do, I uh, wanted to uh, – Recognize our sponsor, Ed Watkins Marine, edwatkinsmarine.com. Appreciate uh, their support of the program. Ed Watkins Marine has two locations to serve you, located in Denver and Cornelius, North Carolina, in the greater Charlotte area of our state. They have fishing boats, pleasure boats, pontoon boats, center consoles, family-friendly bow riders, trailers, engines, UTVs. They have all the brands you're seeking, Seapro, Suncatcher, Pontoons and Tritoons, Stingray, Yamaha, Suzuki, Mercury, Vexus Bass Boats, Explore Skiffs, and more. Whether you're looking for a new boat or to repower your existing boat, Ed Watkins Marine can help you meet your boating needs. Visit them online at edwatkinsmarine.com. We appreciate Big Ed's support of the show. Uh, now, shifting over to talk a little college baseball, I know uh, – you, know, you do the AC, ACC, excuse me, baseball, et cetera. Uh, also here in a, about a month from now, you're going to be down in Jacksonville covering the college baseball classic with Kyle Peterson. Uh, tell us about that event. Yeah. So this is something that um, the partnership with, with D one baseball sort of created. Um, they got into the streaming game last year with the Carbach round rock classic. And that is a, a early season event that's put on by a group called Peak Events. And Peak has expanded their events into they've got, I think, five this year. So um, the way they like to do it is they they find a place to be the host. Obviously, they get four teams, typically pretty good college baseball teams to get together and play sort of a regional style Um in, in a few days of action. So this is the inaugural Jacksonville College Baseball Classic. They're going to play it at 121 Financial Ballpark, which is the home of the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. Can't wait for that to come out of my mouth so many times that weekend, home of the Jumbo Shrimp. It's just fun to say. Um, but that event is going to be uh, Auburn, Iowa, Virginia, and Wichita State. And it's six games in three days. Streamed exclusively on D1Baseball.com um, in addition to their other, you know, four events aside from that. Uh, I, it just kind of made sense, right? It's like, hey, Darren's on the D1 Baseball team now. He does play-by-play. -play. Let's have him do one of these. And, um, I know, I'm thrilled to be working with Kyle Peterson, right? I mean, it's not 
not often, not every day you get to work with the, the number one college baseball analyst in, in ESPN's roster. So that'll be a lot of fun. KP's great. He's been awesome in the lead up to this. And I, I, uh, I know the production value of the event is going to be just off the charts. It should be uh, some really good baseball, some really good broadcasts. It'll be um, it'll be a fun start to the season for me. I've got one midweek on ACC Network Extra um, the week prior to that. I think I've got Liberty at Duke that week, um, and then otherwise that's going to be my first baseball of the year. So it'll be it'll be awesome. I believe your most recent drop on ACC baseball, et cetera, you know, was Chris Pollard of Duke, but you've also caught up with Scott Forbes of uh, North Carolina, as well as several others. So what are some of your, uh, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but some of your major takeaways from those conversations? Yeah. Um, and I appreciate that. We're, what we're doing is, is having a conversation with all 14 ACC baseball coaches in the, the preseason. So um, it's, it amounts to two or three of those dropping per week until opening day. Um, Pollard, the, the head coach at Duke dropped today. Um, we released Tom Walter of the number one Wake Forest team at Deacons on Tuesday. Um, some some key takeaways. Honestly, the league is going to be about as deep as I've ever seen it. And it feels like we say that every year about the ACC. Um, it's cool for Pirate fans perspective because, you know, these are a lot of teams that they play regularly in non-conference play. Really excited about it. It's actually I'm, I'm a little bummed the weekend I'm in Jacksonville is the same weekend of the three-game set between the Pirates and the Tar Heels. So I'm not going to be able to catch any of those um, like I otherwise probably would have. But, um, man, it's just a continuation of the same old conversation, Bubba, right? It, it's There's so much great college baseball in this state, and ECU is certainly toward the top of that list. The the, the big four in the ACC are, are all ranked um, – you know, keeping it close in the Carolinas. I mean, Clemson was the number four national seed last year is going to be really good again. Um, you guys know UNC Wilmington is typically a pretty good program. Um, yeah, baseball teams like Campbell and, um, you know, th there's just so much of it. There's, there's a lot of really, really, really good baseball in the area. So like the ACC is no different. It's, it's going to be, um, outside of the sec the class of college baseball but you know us acc people will brag about it if wake forest is is number one for however long they're number one we're gonna we're gonna take that and run with it and um it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun year man there's there's so much good baseball in this area yep uh, no doubt and you know it just shows you you know you look at lsu the way they go about it getting it done wake forest and, you know, to their fan base credit, you know, they, they had an excellent atmosphere in the Super Regional last year. But just um, the different ways uh, to accomplish the, the same goal, you know, because you think about the, the atmospheres that exist in the SEC with the likes of LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas, South Carolina, et cetera. Yeah. And, and I mean, look, like, you know, I, I, I do some games. I've got a series or two on my schedule at Clark LeClaire, like, that's one of my favorite environments, right? And it's it's vastly different than um, a lot of the SEC schools you go to. I did a series at Clemson for the last for the first time last year and was really impressed with that environment. Even during spring break, they still had a ton of people show out for those games. 
Um, it was a lot of fun. I would have, I would say it was SEC like, um, it's great. And and to see it, you, you hit on something too, the different ways that teams do it. If you look at, especially, you know, here in the way things are done in 2024, Wake Forest got a big time arm, former Tennessee volunteer, Chase Burns, you know, he's going to be their, their ace, presumably, um, and, you know, they became a, a premier transfer destination this year with this season that they had last year. You look at a team like Duke, who has built itself, itself up into having regular success. They don't necessarily do it that way because they're Duke. You know, a lot of their key contributors are like Ivy League grad transfers. It's it's way different, you know, or, or they'll pluck somebody from a, a Division three school and, and have a lot of success with that. Um you know, ECU is is a different type of animal in terms of the way they recruit. We know Cliff likes his his local to local ish guys. Um, he recruits the state of North Carolina hard, and it works to his advantage in a lot of cases. And um, you know, there's a there's a something of a pirate way when it comes to baseball, right? Like it's it it makes sense when you see a guy end up at ECU, and it's like, yeah, okay, yep, that makes sense that he's he's the type of guy, Cliff wants and can excel with um with that program that that's the fun part about it is just to see the many ways that it can be done and you know who's to say duke isn't a better team in acc play than wake forest this year even with you know you know they're not sort of the 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 it team in college baseball in the way that wake forest has become in in really quick order right but they're they're a really good team they might have the best bullpen in the country duke um, so it's, it's cool, man. It's, it's so much fun to, to cover, you know, the ACC specifically, but also college baseball in the area. Cause, cause like I said, it's, it's so good in this state and in the area, it's, it's kind of hard not to be interested in all of it. Right. And, uh, you know, Wake Forest certainly had some, some good teams, but you know, like you're saying, the Blue Devils have been knocking on the door of Omaha for, several years now having been to I think at least three super regionals under coach Pollard and uh, I think game three of super regionals on a couple of occasions mm-hmm. and uh, Wake Forest uh, yeah and that's you know and that's, that's, last year yeah and and we haven't even really mentioned you know uh North Carolina NC State I know pirate fans not might not like our mentioning of those two um as much as the others but you know NC State has been right there in terms of of breaking through and and um, you know they've been to Omaha of course a couple but, of trips um, of Omaha yeah um, and North Carolina is looking to get back to sort of that level and and Scott Forbes thinks that they've got enough talent for them to do that this year uh, you know pitching's kind of been the concern for them in recent years and um, they're they're hoping to improve in that way too so um, it's uh. Look, it, it's so I'm, I'm you can tell I, like I love what I'm doing with pirate basketball right now. Um, it's going to overlap a little bit with baseball and I'm going to be on cloud nine because I'm I'm so excited for all of it. Hey, I am very jealous of you guys. I'll tell you the way you just laid that out, Darren, you know, up here in New England, I have the opposite problem. There's no college baseball. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's a, I mean, we have UConn. UConn's pretty good, but mm-hmm. uh you know, nobody gets jazzed up about it. You know, it's all up here. It's all professional sports. But the amount, to your point, the amount of good baseball in North Carolina is outstanding. And, uh, 
I'm jealous, guys. That's all I can say. I'm a little envious. You know, yeah. Because, uh, well, you I'll tell you what, Matt. I, might I recommend a new favorite team? Um, you could get into Boston College baseball. That that's a that seems like a fun one to me. I actually they've got a first year head coach who really amongst the ACC coaches is the the only guy that I did not have a a pre existing relationship with before doing our preseason conversation. Um, Todd Interdonato was at Wofford for a long time. He turned them into the class of the SOCON. Um, he's he's a really interesting, compelling guy. He won me over. And um, nice. I, okay. I, that, that's my recommendation. Okay. Get, into, like get into Boston College baseball. It'll be your way to sort of insert yourself into baseball here in the area. I, I like it. I would love to see <laughs> them, you know, have another great year. That's, that's a good tip. I like it. All right. Thanks for giving me some hope, you know. Yeah. <laughs> All name team, all name team. For, uh, what you say, Todd? Inter Inter Donato. Yep. Yeah, there you go. Like, in, like almost like the soccer team Inter Milan. It's it's Inter Donato. It's I N T E R Donato. So he didn't correct me. I assume that's how I pronounce it. He didn't. He didn't say no, no, no. It's something else. So um, that's what we're rolling with. Another program up there that I've, I've shared this with Matt. Uh, you know, and they've had some success in recent years. Um, they have some tremendous facilities. One of their professional players uh, had given back in a, in a large way, and that is uh, Binghamton. They have a, a really nice ballpark. Uh, I'm trying to remember how many million, uh, I want to say it was like 50 or $60 million worth of facilities. I don't know. It was, it was something that most people would not expect uh, Binghamton to have. Yeah. Almost like, um, you know, Todd Frazier gave all that money to, to Rutgers. And, and I, I think I think their state, their ballpark is named for him. I think it's Todd Frazier ballpark at Rutgers, um, which is a pretty cool connection. Right. The Tom's River, New Jersey guy giving back to the community and um, feeding into that program is, you know, Frazier is, is all about the game at, at basically every level. So. Um, of course he's, he's doing that and feeding it back into his community. That's, that's, that's a cool program with, with, you know, some, some buzziness and some nice facilities where you might not otherwise expect it to. Well, Darren, we really appreciate you being so generous with your time tonight, uh, spending a little over an hour with us talking pirate hoops, as well as a little college baseball. Um, we'll certainly have you back on the show. Uh, over the next few weeks as the Pirates progress toward the conference tournament in hoops. But, uh, you know, you know uh, tell folks how they can follow you on social media before we get out of here. Yeah. Um, if you, I mean, if you see my name down here, I was trying to point at it. Darren Vaught, um, pretty unique. So as you can imagine, I'm just at Darren Vaught on everything. Um, pretty easy to find, pretty accessible, or I try to be anyway. So um, by all means, reach out, say, hey. If you're at Menji's, come say hey. Come come down and, and hang out with me and Coach Perry for a few minutes before tip. If you want, that's encouraged. Also, would love to would love to say hey. Yeah, Darren, yeah. thanks so much for coming on, man. You're doing a great job. Uh, wait, what's the comment here? What do we have? Yeah, Justin, uh, clarify. I didn't see that comment in a timely fashion. I think this came when I recommended BC. Ah, yeah, I see. I see. Okay, okay. I, I thought that was probably the case. <laughs> well hey you know what uh, it's always ecu first justin it's yeah. always ECU first but you know i'll uh, i'll have to incorporate some bc you know 
I like so, it. Well, not a bad tip. Not a bad tip. <laughs> and he says, yes, LOL. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Yep. I'm Very a little jet lag tonight, Justin. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not as sharp as I normally am on, on the humor. <laughs> yeah, Matt Matt has an affinity for the, the Eagles from the 2021 Military Bowl. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Very nice. Ooh, I, I, just kidding. From uh, when when they opted out and uh, East Carolina could not play Boston College in the Military Bowl because of oh yeah yeah. Yep. All right, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna play the jet lag card too there because I just didn't pick up on that. But that's good. That's good. <laughs> tried, you know, yeah. Darren, they, that was, they tried that was mainly the, that was directed at Matt. They, well, they tried to use a global pandemic as an excuse to opt out of a football game. And, you know, that just didn't fly with me, fellas. You know, sure. you know, just no excuses. We need to play football. So, uh, yeah, that, that one, that's a uh, – that took me a long time to get over that one, Bubba, as you know. Yeah. I think a lot of Pirates were in that same boat with you. But, uh, guys, excellent show. We'll appreciate uh, everyone tuning in. Appreciate uh, all the support of the program. That will do it for this edition of Pirate Basketball Overtime. East Carolina victorious on Wednesday night against Wichita State Shockers, 54-52. to They will return to action on Sunday afternoon against the Tip Owls at 5 o'clock on ESPN2 at Williams Arena Minji's Coliseum. Uh, with that win over the Shockers, the Pirates snapped a three-game skid, 10-10 and overall, 3-4 and in the American. Uh, but for co-host Matt Semenza, as well as the play-by-play voice, of East Carolina basketball, Darren Vault. I'm Bubba Rosenbaum. You've been watching and listening to Pirate Basketball Overtime. We'll talk to you soon. And as always, go Pirates.